We're in the last uh, message uh, of this series on human sexuality, the fifth of, of five messages. And I'm just so grateful for the way that uh, Willingdon Church has engaged in the conversation. It's been a, an honest, healing, redemptive conversation. If you have questions today during the message or during the week, you can continue to text the number that you find in the leaflet. It is 778-769-0770. That's my wife's phone number. No, not really. Uh, you know, just text that number and we will respond uh, to you. In the first message of this series, um, we recognize that we are all created for relational intimacy. And in that message, we provided a definition for marriage. It reads as follows. Marriage is an exclusive covenant relationship for life between one man and one woman. Publicly recognized, consummated by sexual union, providing an environment for bearing and nurturing children. We also said that God says no to all sexual activity, both physical and emotional, outside of that one flesh marriage union. So, of course, that generates a a question. What about those who find themselves outside of a one flesh marriage union? What's the answer for the loneliness of people, irrespective of their gender, sexual orientation, or marital status? Does our position condemn people to loneliness? You may find the title of this uh, message intriguing, Love Without Wax. Paul says in Romans chapter 12, verse 9, let love be genuine. I believe the NIV reads, love must be sincere. It stands as the title for the paragraph. Let love be genuine, sincere. Uh, That word sincere, many believe that it comes from two Latin words, sine, without, and cera, wax. So, without wax. Some academics dispute that, but I believe it nicely illustrates what Paul is intending to say in Romans chapter 12. During the time of the Roman Republic, marble workers and sculptors, they would cover the cracks and crevices in the stone with wax. Much like an antique dealer might cover a scratch in a piece of furniture today with wax. So a sincere work of marble, a sincere sculpture, was a sculpture without wax covering the cracks and crevices. It was authentic, it was pure, it was genuine. And so the main point of the message and the main point of the passage that we're reading today is that the foundational virtue of the family of God is authentic love, sincere love. Let's read it. Romans 12, verse 9. Let, the, let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be Fervent in spirit, serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. So Paul says, let love be genuine, and then he lists the marks of authentic love. Before we look at those, let's consider the context. One of Paul's key concerns in Romans is what does it mean to be the family of God? You see, Jews have come to faith, Gentiles have come to faith, 
There are significant cultural differences, there are social tensions, and there are theological disagreements. Can they walk as one? It's quite obvious at Willingdon that we come from many different nations, different cultural backgrounds. We represent different ethnic groups. We come together to be family. Quite often we have different, different theological formations. We have passed through different, different life experiences. Can we actually be one? When I was going to college in South Carolina, I attended Second Nazareth Baptist Church. Uh, I think I was one of two white people in the congregation. The children would come into the service every Sunday singing this song. Glad to be in the service. Glad to be in the service. Shouldn't we enter church this way? Glad to be in the service one more time. He didn't have to let me live. He didn't have to let me live. Live to be in the service one more time. And then they'd sing. No, he didn't have to let me in. No, you didn't have to let me in. Glad to be in the service one more time. Why did they sing that? You see, the song was birthed out of a history of slavery and segregation. And people said that blacks and whites could not be one family. They could not walk together. And so they sang, no, you didn't have to let me in. Glad to be in the service. So can we walk as one? What binds us? Paul's concerned about the family of God. Another key concern of his is Roman society. He believes that it has just lost its moral compass. So in chapter 1, he writes that people have suppressed the truth. They have exchanged God for idols of their own making. They've exchanged the truth for lies. They worship creatures rather than the creator. They've exchanged what is natural for what is contrary to nature. Their minds have become debased. It reminds me of a conversation I had with a politician, local politician here in Metro Vancouver. He said this about a year ago. He said, the moral fabric of our society is coming undone. And as he said that, he had tears in his eyes. Here's an illustration of our dilemma. Margaret Wendt writes in the Globe and Mail two weeks ago, and she's not a conservative Christian. This is what she writes. Why are feminists and other liberals so indifferent to and in denial about the malign effects of porn? Why are people so censorious of crude, misogynist male behavior in real life, but so reluctant to draw a link between that behavior and the ubiquitous availability of the crudest kind of porn? The answer is that feminists and other liberals would rather be caught dead than be caught on the same side as Christians, conservatives, and other social reactionaries. After all, they believe that sexual expressiveness is among the greatest of human freedoms. That leaves them in the uncomfortable position of condoning massively misogynistic messages to the young at the same time as they condemn young males for treating women like sex objects. So, in Canada today, we want complete sexual freedom. Nobody can tell me what to do with my mind and my body. It's mine. And that leads 
to higher levels of objectification, harassment, and abuse. But we want that, and we want all of that, without anyone being hurt in the process. It's nonsensical. Later in her article, Wendt asks, how do we help our children develop a healthy sexuality? And she answers her own question. Don't expect the schools to do it. So we suffer from a deepening moral crisis in Canadian society, but, and listen, this is a great day to be the church. We suffer from a deepening moral crisis in Canadian society, but it's a great day to be the church. Paul's answer for the Roman church and for the society within which it lives is the gospel. He says in Romans chapter 1, verse 16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. So Paul believes in the power of the gospel to transform Jewish and Gentile lives. You know, one of the welcome surprises of this series on human sexuality, for me at least, has been that it has, it has just forced us to ask the question, what is the gospel? What do we proclaim? What do we call ourselves to? What do we call other people to? Well, it begins in Romans chapter 3, verse 10. None is righteous, no, not one. Romans chapter 3, verse 23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We admit that. You know, if you're here pointing your finger at the church and saying you're a bunch of hypocrites, we agree. End of argument. We are self-seeking much more than we should be. We're self-centered. We're judgmental. We're unloving. We're hypocritical. We try to fill in the cracks with wax. But we don't want to live that way. We want to be like Jesus. But so often we're not. We agree with Tim Keller. Tim Keller says that the church is more like a waiting room at a doctor's office than a waiting room at a job interview. Why does he say that? Well, in the church, we admit that we are broken, weak, and sinful, and that we need healing. We don't come to the church with our resume, as if we could prove that we're worthy of membership. But, Romans 5, verse 8, But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were still sinners, by God's grace, Christ died for us. Romans 3, 23 and 24. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. And so we never come on our own merit. Our salvation is never based on our resume. On our own, we stand condemned. We are guilty. We live under shame. But God loved us while we were still sinners and sent Jesus to die for us, pay the price once for all. Amen? Romans chapter 6, verse 23, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's grace. We deserve death. Romans 10, verses 12 and 13, for there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Everyone. 
No matter what your orientation or ethnic background, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God, for you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. So by grace, through faith in Jesus alone, we are sons and daughters of the Father. We've been adopted into the family. We live by the Spirit of God. We received an email during this series saying, hey, it's great that you want to be a welcoming church. You need to be an affirming church. Well, what do we affirm? We affirm the gospel. We affirm that we're sinners. We affirm we need Jesus. That's where the conversation starts, no matter what your orientation. We believe that God rescues sinners, that he puts us right with him. As we surrender to Jesus, entrust ourselves to him and confess him as Lord, we believe in the transforming power of the gospel. So evident in the testimony of Dr. Leon Yuan, who, when his son came to him and said, hey, I'm gay, he considered his son as dead. But then he came to faith in Jesus. God changed his perspective completely. So evident in the life of Angela Ewan, who was despairing, suicidal, but then she found Jesus. So evident in Christopher, who was a a gay drug addict in prison, but he met Jesus. So evident in the testimony of Pastor Willie, who was abused as a young boy, but then found restoration in Jesus. So evident in the testimonies of Richard and Hesed last week, who found freedom from addiction and healing in Jesus. So the doors of Willingdon are wide open to those who seek Jesus. Membership at Willingdon is open to all who confess Jesus as Lord and commit to follow him obediently, no matter what the cost. The call is the same to all. We all stand before the cross, and before the cross there is level ground. No matter what your sexual orientation, gender, marital status, ethnic background, Paul's concerned about the family of God. He's also concerned about the gospel, and that's his main concern in his letter. And he's also concerned about followers of Jesus being obedient to Jesus. He writes in the introduction and in the conclusion that followers of Jesus are to be obedient to faith for the sake of his name among all the nations. You see, Paul, he writes this masterful theology, beautiful, eloquent theology in Romans 1 through 11, but he believes that that theology has huge implications for life. He believes that when people encounter the reality of God, it will change the reality of their lives. He presents the heart of the matter in Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So instead of being conformed to the thinking of this world, conformed to the behavioral patterns of this world, we are transformed by the gospel through the renewing of our minds and we discern that the will of God is actually good, acceptable, and perfect in every area of our lives, including the area of human sexuality. 
So in, the context, in this context of surrender and worship, Paul describes a love without wax. Romans chapter 12, verse 9, let love be genuine, abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good, love one another with brotherly affection, outdo one another in showing honor, do not be slothful in zeal, be fervent in spirit, serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer, contribute to the needs of the saints, and seek to show hospitality. When describing a life that's pleasing to God, love heads the list, always. All that Jesus says, all that Paul says, is embraced by this call to love God and to love one another. It's to shape and govern all of our relationships. Verses 9 and 10 and 11 are parallel verses. And so in 9a, Paul writes, let love be genuine. In verse 10, let love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Let love be sincere. Let it be without wax. Let it be truly genuine. Without hypocrisy, the Greek says. You see, in Greek theater, one actor would often play different roles and so would wear corresponding masks to the character being played. Paul is saying, when we love genuinely, we don't wear masks. True love is not fake news. Observe the language in verse 10, love one another. That language is used for the love, the affection between parents and children. With brotherly affection, that's used for the affection between siblings. So what's Paul saying about the church? He's saying the church is to be an extended family in which disciples of Jesus have natural affection for one another. You see, in the church today, we need to recover this vision for spiritual friendship, a vision of human connection in which soul is knit to soul, those deep, committed, non-sexual relationships like the relationship between David and Jonathan, like the relationship between Jesus and John. Let's pray for thousands of committed, intimate, non-sexual relationships at Willingdon. You see, in our Canadian society, friendship and family have been eclipsed by our obsession with sex and sexual activity. We've elevated the romantic relationship as the most fulfilling relationship possible, the relationship that we should dream for, the supreme relationship that trumps all others. Scripture doesn't. Jesus doesn't. In the church, marriage is often presented as the all-sufficient relationship. You want to be happy? Get married. As if marriage will meet all of our relational needs. This vision, it does a disservice to marriage. It does a disservice to the single. Marriage is not the cure for loneliness. A relationship with the living God is. And the only way to enter a relationship, whether it be with another single or a marriage relationship, the only way to enter a relationship in a healthy way is to be one with the living God. That's the cure for, for loneliness. As Christopher Ewan reminded us, church-family relationships are actually the eternal ones. So think about this. Biblically, singles are not single if they are in the family of God. Singles, united to Christ, are inextricably united to all of their brothers and sisters in Christ forever. 
The blood which flows from the wounds of Jesus, the blood shed for your sins and my sins, it binds us. Not everyone can be a spouse in this life. Not everyone can be a parent in this life. But everyone can be a spiritual friend. Everyone can be a brother or a sister. Remember what Jesus said when his mother and brothers came to find him. They were looking for him. And Jesus pointed to his disciples. And he said in Matthew chapter 12, Here are my brother, mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. So we must recover a robust understanding of the church as family for all. Just imagine if these kinds of brotherly affection relationships were common rather than rare at Willingdon. I'm not saying that they are rare, but... Just imagine if they were very, very common. That was just the way we did life at Willingdon. Whether it be in a worship service or a discipleship group or an accountability group or a support group or a small group, but we were truly walking together as family. You might ask, well, if we live family in this way, just you know, with our arms open, welcoming everyone, do we then become a complacent group? You know, a group that just accepts everything. Well, we need to read what Paul's writing in context. In the context, he writes, verse 9b, Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. And then in verse 11, Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. So he uses a really strong word there. That word, abhor, it is to hate bitterly, to detest. The word for evil is the strongest word that he could use in the Greek language. We are to hate bitterly what is evil. To love good, we must hate evil. Love does not tolerate evil. Love is discerning. Love always wants the best for others. And so love will not reduce love to sex, lust, and romantic notions. Love holds fast to what is good, to God and his ways. That word hold fast, that means to be glued to, to be cemented together. It's the word that's used for the bonding in marriage. And so we are to be tenaciously attached to what is good. Don't become complacent, tolerant, lazy, Paul says. Be fervent in spirit. That should be translated, be set on fire by the spirit. Paul believes that the agent which gives us enthusiasm for God and his ways is the presence, is the person of the Holy Spirit so that we might serve the Lord, be slaves to the Lord. In essence, Paul is saying, choose holiness. So what characterizes the love of God in the family of faith? Well, the grace of genuine love coupled with holy tenacity. The grace of genuine love coupled with holy tenacity. Authentic love lives out the gospel. I think of Pastor Willie who, after he met Jesus, he had to come to an understanding of what it would mean to live out his faith. And by God's grace, God gave him a heart of compassion for his abuser, He prayed for the salvation of his abuser. He went to visit him in prison when he was convicted for pedophilia. Now that's authentic love. That's genuine love. That's love without wax. That's love that abhors evil but extends forgiveness in the name of Jesus. It's hope-filled love. Paul writes in verse 12, Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. 
Again, one of the surprises for me in this series on human sexuality has been the, just the hope-filled testimonies. I think of Leon, Angela, and Christopher again. Their hope for personal healing and family healing. That gift that they shared with us. I think of Pastor Willie's, Richard, and Hesseth's hope-filled journeys toward healing in Jesus. You see, the biblical vision for human sexuality is cast with abundant hope. A secure hope in the power of the gospel to bring healing in our lives and complete transformation in the life to come. The vision isn't grounded in our purity, but in a father who loves us, who sent his son to die on our behalf, even for the church, the chief of sinners, the father who sends his spirit to live within us so that we might follow him in life. Jesus says, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice, and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. Jesus knocks on the door of every heart, every person. As we open our hearts to Jesus, he enters with grace and beauty and power and love, washing us, justifying us, sanctifying us in his beautiful name. Be patient in tribulation, Paul writes. Internally, in our hearts, we need to be patient with ourselves on our journey toward healing. Uh, Todd Wilson, in his book, Mere Sexuality, he writes, almost every departure or deviation from mere sexuality, and by mere sexuality, he just means a sexuality grounded in the scriptures, the understanding of historic Christianity. Almost every departure or deviation from mere sexuality is an expression of our impatience, We don't want to wait for what God has promised, or we refuse to live within the parameters God has designed. You know, we so often demand instant gratification. Soon drones will be delivering packages to our door an hour after making an order. Instant gratification. But patience, it always demands some level of tribulation and suffering. There is no way to avoid suffering in a fallen world. We so often want relief from the struggle, our desires satisfied right now, the healing of our sexual brokenness right now, the healing of all of our relationships today. We may not find all the healing we desire in this life, but we can know Jesus, be known by him, experience abundant life. We can choose holiness, choose to trust in him and his steadfast love. That's why Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9, But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. We can live with secure hope for complete restoration at Jesus' coming. On that day, there will be no more desires of any kind that are out of step with God's design for human beings. There will be no more longings of any kind that are not met fully in seeing the face of our Lord Jesus Christ. On that day, all will be well, all will be whole, all will be joy, all will be love. And so we walk 
toward that complete healing in Jesus with tremendous hope. We exercise patience with ourselves and with those around us, even with those who disagree with us, even with those who may shame us for our understanding of human sexuality. In chapter 12, verse 14, Paul writes, Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Verse 19, Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. And so when we observe society around us and we may think that society is losing its way, we don't respond with an angry, fearful, combative spirit. No. In our relationship with the society around us, we love. We hold fast to what is good and we walk with hope and with patience. I remember some of the testimonies that we heard. Both Christopher and Richard talked about being drawn to God by his grace. They were brought to repentance by his kindness. So we are to emulate that kindness, that grace. Be constant in prayer, Paul writes. Let's be a a house of hope-filled, persistent prayer warriors. Remember Angela Ewan, who prayed and fasted for her son for seven to eight years. May that be our testimony. May we live in that way. What marks the love of the family of God? Well, the grit of joy-filled hope, patient endurance, and persistent prayer. The grit of joy-filled hope, patient endurance, and persistent prayer. And then Paul adds, contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. That first phrase is literally, enter into fellowship with the needs of the saints. Be generous with your food, with your clothing, with your housing. At that time, Christians in Rome were passing through difficulties and they depended very often on the goodness, on the generosity of their brothers and sisters. Show hospitality. Seek to show hospitality, Paul writes. Seek to show, that literally means pursue, hunt after. Hospitality, kindness to strangers. That's why Origen, an early church father, wrote this. We are not just to receive the stranger when he comes to us, but actually to inquire after and look carefully for strangers, to pursue them and search them out everywhere, lest perchance somewhere they may sit in the streets or lie without a roof, over their heads. Sometimes the stranger is right here in the church lobby. Sometimes the stranger is in the cafe or at the bus stop on the way out. When Christopher came out and told his parents that he was gay, Dr. Leon considered him to be dead. Later, Dr. Leon came to faith Sometime later, Leon was in Chicago visiting his parents and his ex-partner was in the hospital dying of AIDS alone. Christopher was depressed and so he called his parents. And what did his parents do? Dr. Leon and Angela went down to the hospital, went to the intensive care unit, got gowned up, and Christopher says they loved on my ex-partner. They hugged him, a man that many considered to be untouchable. That is genuine love. That is Christian hospitality. Rosaria Butterfield, 
she has a new book coming out next month. The gospel comes with a house key. And in her book, she asked some questions. She was a professor at Syracuse University, a professor of literature and women's studies, a lesbian atheist. She asked these questions. What did God use to draw a radical, committed unbeliever to himself? Did God take her to an evangelistic rally? Or since she had her doctorate in literature, did he use something in print? God used an invitation to dinner in a modest home from a humble couple who lived out the gospel daily, simply, and authentically. I believe God wants to use this same radical, ordinary hospitality at Willingdon. As we open up to the stranger our messy lives, our sometimes messy homes, our small groups, as we just live authentically and give those who don't know Jesus an opportunity to see what it means to follow Jesus, what it means to know him. What's the mark of genuine love in the family of God? Well, the gift of family-like friendships and generous hospitality to strangers. The gift of family-like friendships and generous hospitality to strangers. The climax of what Paul calls the church we find in Romans chapter 15, the end of his letter. He writes in verse 7, Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. And then verse 13, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. So this is no time for pessimism. As Canadian society moves further and further from its Christian moorings, we are given more and more of an opportunity to be the church in our day, to offer a beautiful alternative to people. For us to be an effective pillar of the truth, we must be an effective family. The key to our witness and credibility in this area of human sexuality is the quality of our life together and the clarity of our message. Let's be clear on the gospel. Let's be a family marked by love without wax. Amen? Amen. Let's stand for prayer. And I want to pray... um, Two prayers. The first is for those of you who may be here and you may be hurting, broken, and you're just saying, I want to give my life to Jesus today. And so I invite you to pray with me. Father, I need you. I recognize that I am a sinner. I recognize that I have walked away from you, that I've gone my own way. Thank you, Jesus, for dying on the cross for me, for taking my sin upon yourself, paying the price I could never pay. I ask for forgiveness of my sin. I ask for the gift of eternal life. I ask you to send your Holy Spirit to live within me, to empower me to follow you in life. Jesus, I receive you as my Savior and my Lord. Thank you for forgiveness. Thank you for the gift of eternal life. In Jesus' name, amen. If you prayed that prayer today, come talk to me. Go to the Welcome Center or write to the text number. And now a prayer for all of us based on Ephesians chapter 3. 
Father, we bow our knees before you. You say that every family in heaven and on earth and, earth and on earth is named by you. Father, according to the riches of your glory, grant us to be strengthened with power through your spirit in our inner being. May Christ dwell in our hearts through faith. May we be rooted and grounded in love. May we receive strength to comprehend with all of our brothers and sisters what is the breadth and length and height and depth of your love. To know your love, Jesus, that surpasses knowledge, that we may be filled with all the fullness of God. Lord, you're able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to the power of your Holy Spirit at work within us. And so to you be glory in this church, Willingdon Church, now and forever. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you. Have a wonderful week.